Thanks for being here in the rain. It's a lot. Um, it's a lot to come through. If you've if you've been following uh, with us here in worship or along online or on our podcast, like you know that for the past couple of weeks that we have been strongly encouraging you, <laughs> the body of Christ, to be together. Like we've just been making the case that that we equip each other, that we encourage each other, that today we exhort one another, um, but we can't do that unless we're together, that one way or another, unless we're together, we can't do that. So we've been a bit bold in our encouragement to come to worship, <laughs> like not just when it's convenient, but to really commit to gathering for worship so that we can remember and celebrate the good news in Christ Jesus, and we can do that together. We've been a bit bold in our encouragement to find community here in First Pres outside of worship, to find a way to gather in smaller groups because that's the place that real and meaningful interaction can take place. You can really share life together. You can equip, encourage, and exhort one another in those spaces. Now, we've been saying all that for the past couple of weeks, fully aware that for some, and these people, because they're so committed to Christ and his church, they're the ones who are listening and watching online today, that just some people can't be here with us. Like some for physical, for health reasons, others because of a job, because of real reasons. So like whether you're here or online or wherever you are, just please hear me. Like we understand and the words over the past couple weeks are not meant to make you feel guilty or in any way to make you feel like you are disconnected from the body of Christ. Like so many connect in whatever way they can. And we are so grateful that when we get to see them on Zoom or when we get their emails, when we get to talk to them on the phone or when we see them in person, oftentimes we have the opportunity to serve them communion in person in their homes. So like just before we say anything else, before we read the scripture today, like I just wanna apologize for making anybody feel guilty or disconnected. Because if there are real reasons why you can't be here, you aren't. There are real reasons why some can't gather with us. And I just want them to know, like, we love you. We know, we get it. And we'll continue to do everything that we can to help keep you connected to the church. Fair? Okay. Now, if you'll allow me to make a subtle shift. (laughs) Because there are reasons and there are excuses. Like sometimes it is just easier to skip worship and Bible studies and small groups because coming to worship is not always convenient. We don't always like the music or the message. Finding community can be really hard. And I get it. And listen, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty or disconnected from the body, but today I do wanna offer a bit of a warning. And it's a warning that comes not from me. It comes from the pastor who writes in Hebrews. So today, like we did last week, we're gonna read Hebrews 10, 23 through 27. And all I wanna do is make the case today that it's not only beneficial to gather together for worship, to serve in mission, to do life together in community. Like it's not only beneficial to gather together, I'm convinced that it's dangerous not to. Like imagine if you're, you know, all analogies break down, so just take it for what it is. Imagine that you're hanging off the side of a steep cliff And like the only hope that you have to get to the top is that rope connecting you to the person who's pulling you up. And maybe you're hanging on as best as you can, but it's exhausting, like you're tired and you just wanna give up, you just wanna let go. Maybe you don't even think you can hang on any longer. 
That's why we put people around us who love us, who will encourage us and cheer us on, like hang on, you're almost there. And that's why we need to put people around us who as they see us getting closer and closer to letting go, then their encouragement starts turning into maybe a bit of shouting. Like maybe they begin to plead with us to hang on because Hebrews is about to tell us what can happen if we let go. You're either just stuck on the side of the cliff going nowhere or you could even crash down on the rocks below. So what we've been doing for the past couple weeks is actually the point of the message today. It's exhortation. We've been exhorting you to consider who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and if it's all true, what are you gonna do in response? And it needs to be a bold and sometimes even confrontational word, encouraging, you, encouraging some of you just to keep hanging on, but pleading with others to grab onto the rope. And to those who are here, who are here all the time, who've been holding firmly to that rope all along, it's time for you to start encouraging and exhorting and pleading with our brothers and sisters to do the same. So I've used the word exhort a couple times already this morning. Uh, it's kind of an old word. We need to take a little time to define it and consider the consequences of letting go. But first, I wanna read this from Hebrews 10. Um, I really do believe that the pastor who writes this letter, I think that this is the image he has in mind or something like it. The people in his church, people in their church, are starting to let go. Like they're starting to let go because life is hard. Gathering can be inconvenient. But this pastor is convinced that there are consequences to letting go of the rope. That there are consequences to abandoning our opportunities to meet together. So let's listen for the word of the Lord. We read the section last week, so today I'm gonna go through it a verse at a time. Uh, starting in verse 23. It says this, And let us hold unwaveringly to the hope that we confess for the one who made the promise is trustworthy. Some of your translations might say unswervingly. I didn't know that was a word, but I mean, it is. It means without swerving, obviously. Um, the Greek word is this. It's aklines or aclines if you're from Texas. doesn't matter. Um, it can be translated as, as without wavering or swerving, but the word simply means regularly. To go on without changing. Let us hold on regularly without changing to the hope that we confess. And there's the challenge. Like you've received the good news in Christ Jesus. You've become a part of his body, joined together by the orthodox faith that connects us to disciples of Jesus, past, present, and future. Now hold on to it. Like hold on to the rope. Because it's the only thing pulling you to the top of the cliff. It's the only thing keeping you from, again, either being stuck on the side of the rocks going nowhere or crashing on the rocks below. And that rope is solid, it's not gonna break, it's not gonna fray, you can trust it, you just have to hold on. Be unwavering in your commitment, unswerving. Hold on regularly without changing. Let's continue, this is verse 24. It says, and let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works, not abandoning our own meetings as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and even more so because you see the day is drawing near. Our, our do and don't for today, we exhort, we don't entertain. But like I've said, that's a strange word, exhort. It's kind of an old word. We don't really use it in regular speech very often. What I actually read to you actually doesn't even use the word exhort at all. <laughs> uh, but there is a synonym in there that I think paints the picture even more effectively. 
Now the writer of Hebrews gives us this image in verse 24, to spur one another on. Perizuxmon is the word in Greek and it literally means to spur, like literally sticking spurs into the side of the horse. That's the image. It also means to confront. And the word confront, what does the word mean? Break it apart. It just means to come face to face. It means to stand in disagreement. It even means to irritate. <laughs> like it's such a great word. And we told you last week, we encourage, we don't inspire. To encourage is to walk side by side through the ups and downs of life. Someone here after the service last week reminded me the word is encourage. Instill courage in one another as we face the day. That's really good. Some churches are great at encouragement. They're so good that maybe that's all they do. We are called to encourage and to exhort, to spur one another on, to stand in disagreement if necessary, to irritate to push one another on toward the life that Christ has called us to live. Some churches are great at exhortation. Very irritating. <laughs> They're so good that maybe that's all they do. The pastor in Hebrews is reminding us that a healthy church does both. I heard a sermon recently that reminded me of uh, the story of Odysseus in the Odyssey. Um, one of the obstacles that Odysseus faced on his journey back home to Ithaca was this island inhabited by sirens, right? And the sirens sang these songs that tempted passing sailors, tempting them to come nearer and nearer to the island and what would happen if they did? They'd shipwreck on the rocks, right? And then they're trapped and killed by the sirens. And once the sailors gave in to the temptation, once they even began to hear the song, there really was no going home. So Odysseus was told how to avoid the temptation of the sirens. He was instructed to put beeswax in the ears of his sailors. And then if he, if he wanted to hear the siren's song without him and his men being drawn in, he was told to have his men tie him to the mast of the ship. So he did, he had his men tie him to the mast of the ship and he made his men promise not to listen to him. Like don't follow his orders as they're passing by the island. The commander told his men, ignore my commands, deny me what I want so that we all might live. Well, that's what scripture means by spurring one another on, by exhortation. Like, I know the Bible tells me how to live, right? I know the Bible tells me how to live. I just don't want to. <laughs> Sometimes I don't want to. And I can make excuses, Bible's ancient, it's outdated, whatever. That temptation is real. Sometimes like that temptation can even use forgiveness as a weapon against us, right? God forgives. It doesn't really matter if I fill in the blank. So I need people in my life who will spur me on to faithfulness, who might help me see what I need to do even if it contradicts what I wanna do. People who will confront me when I'm going sideways. I need to give authority to a group of people to irritate me to irritate me to action when I'm getting lazy or complacent in my faith. As pastors in ECO, as part of our ordination, we are required to be a part of pastor covenant groups and they serve this exact purpose. 
I have that group, Sabrina has that group, Roland has that group, I have that group, I have men in this church, I have friends in my life who I have given permission to call me out. I have intentionally put some really irritating people in my life. (laughs) My wife would tell you she has two and she's married to one of them. (laughs) But those people are there for a reason and I thank God for them. So I just want to encourage No, I want to exhort you to do the same. Because by definition, you can't confront yourself. You can't irritate yourself. You can't spur yourself on. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, the sins that most easily shipwreck us are the ones that we can't see. So do you have people around you who can hold you accountable? who you've given permission to call you out in loving ways when you go sideways? Do you have people who you allow to sharply confront you? People who remind you what you need, sometimes at the expense of what you want. (laughs) Like this can sound terrifying. It requires humility and vulnerability and transparency. I'm about to go meet with my group this week. The pastors and eco and elders were meeting Uh, For our yearly gathering, we come together regularly and this is what my group does when we're together. And it can be a little scary because we've promised each other to be honest. I'm telling you y'all, it's worth it. And it's good. Like it's a blessing to have people in your life who love you like this. Like who love you enough to both encourage you and exhort you. Who will cheer you on as you hang on to the rope and who will shout and scream at you with all they've got if they think that you're about to let go. Like we don't love others by just telling them what they wanna hear. We love others by telling them the truth. And we all need these truth tellers in our lives. So we equip, we encourage, and we exhort, not one or the other, we do all three. That's what the church is called to do so that inwardly we can become stronger and more effective outwardly so that we can be more effective in our mission, so that we can look like the people of light, so that we can go out from this place and do love and the good works that God has called us to do in the world wherever we go. All right, so let's continue reading, uh, but I wanna encourage you as we read this next section, don't, don't, like, don't freak out. <laughs> like, give me a chance to talk through it uh, because on the surface it sounds really harsh. It's kind of terrifying. But I do want you to remember that what I'm about to read, it comes immediately after what I've already read. It comes immediately after that call to meet regularly, to spur one another on, to encourage one another. He says this in verse 26. For if we deliberately keep on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, no further sacrifice for sins is left for us, but only a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume God's enemies. All right, we need context, okay? Not to soften what we just read, but to really understand it. What you need to remember is that the author of Hebrews, whoever it was, was a Jew. The audience of the letter, the first readers of this letter, they were primarily Jewish Christians. So if Judaism was their context before they met the resurrected Christ and became the church, what were their scriptures? The Old Testament. 
And the pastor in Hebrews is directly referencing one passage in particular. And it comes from Numbers 15. It says this, anyone who sins defiantly, whether native born or foreigner, blasphemes the Lord and must be cut off from the people of Israel because they have despised the Lord's word and broken his commands. They must surely be cut off and their guilt remains on them. Like defiant sin. Now, you might be thinking, like, okay, most of my sins are defiant. Like, I know what I'm doing and I choose to do it anyway. It's not the same thing. That's not what scripture means by this word defiant. It's a Hebrew idiom. Uh, It's two words. The words yah and rum. Yad is the word for a hand or a fist. Rum is a verb and it means to raise. So do you see the image that the word is painting? Anyone who sins with a raised fist blasphemes the Lord. Like Numbers 15 and the writer of Hebrews, they aren't talking about the sins that I knowingly commit. Y'all, if those sins aren't forgiven by Jesus, then there's no hope, right? What's the point of the cross? The gospel itself depends upon Jesus dying, taking upon himself all my sins, both intentional and unintentional. Taking them upon himself, taking them into the grave and leaving them there. That's, that's the good news. Listen to the way the message says it. Um, sorry. Man, I knew I was gonna do that. Totally lost my place. Now here it is. Uh, the writer of the message translation of the Bible, he says this, if we give up and turn our backs on all that we've learned, all that we've been given, all the truth that we now know, we repudiate Christ's sacrifice and are left on our own to face the judgment and a mighty fierce judgment that'll be. Like this is about choosing to walk away. Raising a fist to God in defiance, abandoning what you know to be true, sinning not just intentionally, but in spite. Like knowing the consequences. It's the, it's the kind of defiant sin that just refuses the forgiveness that you've been offered. Like you know that God is love and you know that God forgives, but you choose to walk away anyway. You simply say no. Jesus says that's blasphemy, the unforgivable sin, because sin can't be forgiven if the sinner refuses forgiveness. You'll hear this in the words of some really strong atheist more frequently. They'll say things like, if God is, I don't want to be with him anyway. Like they, they seem to know who he is and they just outright reject him anyway. Now here's the deal, this all sounds really dramatic. (laughs) Like many, if not most of you are probably thinking, this is really extreme, Chad, like this is not gonna happen to me. The sins that can most easily shipwreck us are the ones that we can't see. We're easily self-deceived. Now the pastor in Hebrews, he's not writing this letter to lost sinners outside the church. Who's the letter addressed to? It's to the church. Like he's writing to those who have heard and received the gospel of Jesus. The pastor believes this kind of raised fist defiance is possible. And I am convinced because of the context of this letter, the threat is raised, the risk of falling away is raised when we ignore the call to spur one another on to love and good works. When we abandon regular meetings as others already have and when we stop encouraging one another. Like I said it last week and I'll say it again, there's a reason that church attendance and the values and beliefs of our culture, there's a reason they're going in the same direction. There's a reason they're going away from God. 
And the writer of Hebrews will tell you that walking away from the body of Christ comes first. Because living apart from the body of Christ, that is the pathway to a life apart from God for the individual and for the community. Y'all, I am convinced that it's dangerous to take what happens here lightly, not just what happens here in worship, what happens here in small groups and communities and Bible studies at our meals together. It's dangerous to take it lightly. It's dangerous to come and go as convenience allows. I am not saying that everyone who walks away from the church will fall away shaking their fists at God. And I am not saying that everyone who comes to church only when it's convenient is probably lost and can't find forgiveness. That is not what I'm saying. It's not my place to make that judgment. All I'm saying is that scripture gives us the prevention. Scripture tells us the best way to inoculate ourselves and future generations from losing our love for and our commitment to the way of Jesus, the best way to protect ourselves is to gather together regularly to equip, encourage, and exhort one another in the faith. I do have some good news, if you want to hear it. (laughs) This is all good news. Uh, It not only protects us from falling away, but there's proof that committing to regular attendance and worship and service and community, like there's proof that it has real benefits, tangible, quantifiable benefits that can be realized in this life if we stay connected to the body of Christ. Um, this summer, during my uh, residency for my doctoral program, we got to visit Harvard University. Um, and we met, uh, by the way, on every building of Harvard U- University, do you know what's, do you know what's, what do you call it when you write in stone? Engraved. Do you know what's engraved on every single building at Harvard University? No. Well, yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, it's a good, good point. Uh, do you know what else is engraved? <laughs> scripture. On every one of them. I've got pictures. You can fall away. But we were at Harvard and we got to meet with a few groups. One of them uh, was working on a program that's called the Human Flourishing Project at Harvard's Institute for Quantitative Social Science. So pretentious, right? They gotta get a shorter name. But, um, but anyway, uh, but we spent the day uh, with Dr. Jeffrey Hansen and his team. He's the senior philosopher for the program, but what's really interesting is he's also an Anglican priest. So this program at Harvard University chose to include is actually led by Christian leaders and thinkers because it's found in its research that participation in a community of faith, a Christian community in particular, that it has real measurable benefits for our daily lives. Like I'm gonna share with you some of their findings that what I'm gonna share with you really just concerns children and students, the data that they found. Uh, But you can read more about what they're doing on their website. They did a lot of work with healthcare providers. Um, They've done a lot of work with just what it means to flourish and the role that faith plays in that. So I just wanna share a brief summary and you might not be able to see all this clearly, but you can find it on their website. Children who are raised in a religious or spiritual environment were better protected from the big three dangers of adolescence, depression, substance abuse, and risky behaviors. It's not a cure, not everybody, right? But the data shows better. They're better protected. 
Uh, those who attend services regularly are 12% less likely to suffer from depression and 30, 33% less likely to use illicit drugs. Those who pray frequently are 30% less likely to start having sex at a young age and 40% less likely to contract an STD. Those who attend services are 18% more likely to report high levels of happiness and 87% more likely to have high levels of forgiveness. Those who pray frequently are 38% more likely to volunteer to serve in their community and 47% more likely to have a sense of mission and purpose in their lives. For those of you that have kids when they leave the nest and go on into the world, if you had a kid who forgave, who served in the community and who had a sense of mission and purpose in their life, would you, feel, would you, would you be pleased? Like if you're really concerned about the next generation, I get to meet with some older people in this church all the time and I'm telling you that all the time they, they talk about the generation, they're lost, they're gone, they're hopeless, they care a lot. <laughs> if you really care about the next generation, get them to church. Like even if they don't wanna be here, get them to church, it's not perfect but clearly being part of a community like this, and I'm telling you a community like this, being a part of a community like this makes a measurable difference in people's lives, not just in the lives of our children and students, but in people of all ages. So really quickly, uh, just two quick to-dos. Uh, one, uh, so for those of you who have been here every week, you're probably tired of me telling you to come every week. <laughs> so fair enough. Uh, so I have a job for you. You have a job, go get the people who aren't. Like, look around you. For those of you who have been at this church for a while, look around. Who's missing? Go get them. Remind them that they're loved. Remind them that this is home. We've had people return to this church over the past couple of years and one of the sweetest moments when they return, one of the sweetest moments is Mark Smith when he meets him at the door. Y'all, I have seen this time after time after time. To be honest with you, he doesn't always remember their names, but he knows their faces. And when he sees them coming back in this room for the first time, what do you say? Welcome home. It's the first thing they hear. Help them find their place again. Y'all, Mark can welcome home at the door all he wants. I can make phone calls and send emails all I want. But the most effective way to get somebody back in the church, the most effective motivation to get somebody back into the family is a personal invite from you. So who's missing? Go get them. What would this place feel like a year from now if every one of you made it your job that within one year you found one person and made them a part of this church? This room would feel twice as full, so... Who's missing? Go get them. Second, um, this is more introspective. Think deeply about the do's and don'ts. Think deeply about what we do and don't do here. Because I want to tell you, like, don't come, I mean, you, you know this, don't come to be entertained by the sermon, right? As long as I'm preaching, that's not going to be a problem anyway. Um, don't, don't come to be entertained by the music. Now, that's more difficult because the music here in both services is incredible. It often takes us to the throne of God in, like, real and powerful ways. But don't be entertained by it. If you're consuming and being entertained by it, you're doing it wrong. Be encouraged by it. 
Let it equip you to love and adore and worship your Savior even more. Like, don't come, to hear, don't come expecting to be empowered and inspired to go back out into the world just to live your best life. That's not what we do here. Do come to hear the good news about what Christ has done for us. Do come to hear about his life, death, and resurrection. Do come to hear the truth that his spirit lives and moves in and through you. Do come to be equipped. Come to be encouraged. Allow us to walk with you as you walk with Jesus. Come and find family. Find people that you can trust. People who love you, who want to get to know you by name. Come and find people that you'll allow to challenge and even irritate you when necessary. Like, do come together regularly for worship and service and community so that we can hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus, so that we can do it together, so that we can hold on to the one who came to set us free, the one who gives us life and gives it abundantly, and the one who will one day come and take us home to be with him forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, beyond grateful for this church family, um, like just looking back over the years, like you have done something here, you were doing something here, and I'm so excited to see what that's gonna look like in the years to come. You have made this a more welcoming place. You have made this a home. Now make it a place where we will equip and encourage and exhort one another that we will just be honest and reflect on the truth that is everything that we say here in worship, if it's true, then it fundamentally changes everything about our lives and this is the most important thing we will ever do. Like help us see that that's true. And then send us out ready to work, ready to love, ready to forgive, ready to find mission and purpose in our lives. We're grateful that's the promise. All we gotta do is trust you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. As we continue to